Isaiah chapter 9 and verse 6 this evening, please. In our adult Bible classes a few months ago, we went through the book of Isaiah in a survey format. It was a survey of the book of Isaiah. And when I do that, I make notes in the course of the study of specific verses that I want to put in my preaching plans. And so tonight, Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, and it happens that this is someone's favorite passage submitted to me in that process I've been following for Sunday evenings for some time. I think you'll recognize Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. His name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Context, you know, that's always where I start. Prophecies were spoken through Isaiah in chapters 7 and 8, recorded there, concerning King Ahaz and the people of Judah, soon to be invaded by Assyria. And so this is a depressing and dark picture of people who lived for years in disobedience to God and finally reaped the wages of their sins. Sin was the cause of their bitter lot, and the last verse in chapter 8 tells what their sin caused, trouble, darkness, and gloom of anguish. Now chapter 9 brings a brighter note saying that this darkness would not last forever. These awful conditions would eventually give way to a better time, and someday there would be ultimate light and life to appear for all men. And there would be a person, a divine person, through whom these blessings would come. And this is all about the glorious future time that centers on Christ, the Messiah. Chapter 9 of Isaiah 6 and 7. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase, verse 7, of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness. From this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. So immediately you put this in the category of messianic prophecies. And Isaiah was considered to be the great messianic prophet. In giving these prophecies, he was not limited to descriptive statements given only for the purpose of identification. Isaiah teaches us about the character and the nature of Jesus, the Messiah. For instance, here in these titles, his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Let's learn from this about our Savior who went to the cross for us, was raised from the dead, ascended to the right hand of God, and is there now for His people. 
His name will be called Wonderful. I recognize that Wonderful can be considered a modifier of Counselor, but Wonderful and Counselor are both true of him. His name will be called Wonderful. I'm going to put a period there for now. One thing people today do not want is boredom. Have you ever witnessed someone rushing through the mall looking for boredom? Do we see television commercials promising monotony? In today's society, we want excitement. We're looking for something exhilarating, like perhaps a little baby searching for wonder in the new world they are discovering. Our problem is we are sometimes looking for that wonder in all the wrong places. We are looking for earthly excitement and fleshly novelty and temporary thrills. But in Jesus Christ, there is the wonder that we really need to concentrate on. Something to get excited about. Something to admire and to worship. Exhilarating. To name his name, to learn of him, to meditate on who he is is the perfect and lasting essence of that word, wonder, when you put it in its highest context. When the shepherds shared the news of his birth, all those who heard it marveled at those things which were told them by the shepherds, Luke 2.18. It is something to wonder at. God was manifested in the flesh, Paul wrote to Timothy in 1 Timothy 3.16. Christ was wonderful in the life he lived on the earth. When he came in contact with a person, group, or event, he transformed that person, group, or event into the potential for a wonderful thing for those involved. Think about the wedding in Cana of Galilee. It would have been ordinary if Jesus had not arrived and turned water into wine. Think of those fishermen, Peter and his companion friends, who had lived very ordinary lives. It would have been so that their lives would have been characterized by the ordinary had they never met Jesus. Whatever Jesus touched in terms of events, people, he beautified and made wonderful for those who look to him for salvation. Everything about him is wonderful. His birth, life, his words of everlasting life. Luke 4.22 says, All bore witness to him and marveled at the gracious words which proceeded out of his mouth. He said, The words that I speak to you are spirit and they are life. John 6, 63. Everything I've been talking about now captures that word, wonder and wonderful. And then you bring into that his death, burial, and resurrection, as we were singing about. He came to die at the cross. He knew he would die. He was willing to die. If any man ever had a right to live, it was Jesus Christ. And yet he willingly died even the death of the cross, Philippians 2 and verse 8. Add to this the wonder of his resurrection. And imagine the sight of his ascension 
And then the wonder of the salvation that he purchased for us, that we embrace the wonder of his grace. You can just take that word wonder and wonderful. Isaiah is describing the character of our Savior. His name is Counselor. You know, when people are in trouble, where they turn for help is some indication of their character, their condition of heart. If I'm faced with a moral decision, for example, and I'm influenced by the desire to do something wrong, I may seek the counsel of someone who will tell me, oh, it's okay, go ahead, do what you desire. A man may turn to the local bar where he pours out his troubles into the ears of anybody he thinks would be sympathetic. There are people who turn to readers or fortune tellers or a psychic hotline. You see, where we turn, who we turn to when we need help is an indication of our character, our frame of mind. To the Christian, Jesus Christ is our supreme counselor. And there's something basic here. We need counsel. We need help. We need direction or guidance. Jeremiah said the way of man is not in himself. It is not in man who walks to direct his own steps. Jeremiah 10, 23. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Romans 3, 23. We need help. And not just anybody is qualified to counsel us. The fact that someone will listen to your questions does not mean they know the right answers. Education and experience doesn't necessarily qualify someone to lead you in the major eternal decisions of life. Certainly if the counselor always tells you exactly what you want to hear, that cannot be good. But in Jesus Christ, there is the perfect counselor. For one thing, he is eternal deity in whom dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. All things were made through him, John 1, 3. In him are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. There is nothing you need to hear about the ultimate issues of life and eternity that Jesus isn't saying right now through his book his teaching. But something else that makes him a qualified counselor, he has the full experience as a human being here on earth. Therefore, in all things he had to be made like his brethren, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God. For in that he himself has suffered being tempted, he is able to aid those who were tempted. Hebrews 2, 17 to 18. Then let me say that Jesus is perfectly qualified to counsel us because he loves us with an absolutely perfect love. That is a perfect blend of truth and love. That makes him unique. The most effective counselor for any of us. Some people hold back the truth because they think this is one way to show love. Others tell the truth but have no love. In Jesus, there is this supreme and perfect blend of truth and love. And we need that. 
Jesus is qualified to be our counselor because he has the power to love us and tell us the truth and then forgive us of our sins. He is him who loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. And he is mighty God. In Matthew chapter 1, in verse 23, one of his names is Emmanuel. And it may say in the margin of your Bible, and it certainly will in good Bible dictionaries, that Emmanuel has this very simple meaning, God with us. Referring to Jesus Christ, God with us. Us, The Apostle John said, this is the true God and eternal life in 1 John chapter 5. In Hebrews 1 verse 8, God is saying to Jesus, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. That's God saying to Jesus, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. He is deity and that's foundational to our faith. He is the mighty God. And he revealed himself as divine at his birth, his baptism, his miracles, his behavior, his response to critics, his death, and certainly his resurrection and ascension. God raised him from the dead, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be held by it. He is everlasting Father. This is one of those statements that clearly places this person outside the pale of created beings. As God, he is eternal. Jesus already existed in the beginning. John 1 verse 1 says, in the beginning was the word. And Colossians 1 16 and 17 says, in him were all things created, and he is, get this, before all things. He's the everlasting Father. Eternity is a concept so vast in its scope that the human mind struggles to begin to take it in. That which is eternal has neither beginning nor ending. God is eternal. Man has a beginning and then an ending or transition. Man, however, will live forever, uh, forever either with God or apart from Him. God made us for eternity, so we need a protector who is eternal. God called Jesus Mighty God, Everlasting Father and Prince of Peace. I'm going to take us in a minute to Ephesians 2. This word peace, the common word peace, to many today simply means leave me alone and let me do anything I want. Sometimes when we use the word peace, we do not mean peace as is described in Scripture. We have no reference to God to Jesus or spiritual things or eternity, we simply want to be left alone. Do whatever we want. Maybe have no obligations. That's the way the world defines peace. Peace 
in the biblical sense doesn't mean that. It means a deep and mature harmony of mind and existence with God. A deep and mature harmony of mind and existence with God. Sin robs us of peace with God. Jesus died so that we can have peace with God. A deep and mature harmony of mind and existence with God. Paul wrote about it. I'm in Ephesians 2 verses 11 to 18. Where he said, Therefore remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off, have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for he himself is our peace, who has made both one, and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances, that he might create in himself one new man in the place of two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off, and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. Paul reminds those he was writing to, at one time they were alienated from God, without God in the world. That's an absence of peace. Why this absence of peace? Go back in Ephesians 2 and look at verse 1. They were dead in trespasses and sins. Now verse 13. Now, he says to Christians, But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off, have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for he himself is our peace, who made both one, and has broken down the middle wall of separation. And then verse 15 says, so as to create himself one new man from the two, thus making peace. When I respond to the gospel, through that response of repentance and baptism, confessing my faith, I am reconciled to God. I now have that deep, mature harmony of mind and existence with the Creator through Jesus Christ. And I need to keep that peace by walking worthy of that calling. In this relationship, we realize what was written in Psalms 72. The mountains will bring peace to the people. He shall come down like rain upon the grass before mowing, like showers that water the earth. In his days the righteous shall flourish an abundance of peace until the more is no more. 
Now, the question this all comes to is, who is Jesus to me? Who is Jesus to you? Is he the Prince of Peace, the Everlasting Father, the Mighty God, Counselor? Is his name wonderful to you? In the name of all that's good and holy and right before God, in view of our need for salvation and guidance out of sin through life to heaven, we need to remember who we are serving every day. It is not primarily about buildings and money. It is primarily about the one who died for us, the wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Let's be standing as we sing.